language. Last week we spoke on uh, the importance of, uh, we studied the importance of discipline and uh, why discipline is absolutely necessary. Discipline in the sense of, of uh, a set of a course of actions that have been given to uh, improve one's moral character, but also discipline in terms of uh, punishment, which is intended to uh, uh, encourage one, discourage one from wrong actions and encourage them to right action. All right, and um, as we're continuing that study, we move through uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, and Paul has just talked to the church of Corinth. And remember, this is, a, uh, this is just an aspect of our larger study as we've been looking at how God deals with division amongst his people. And, and as we saw last week, that uh, a lack of spiritual discipline will always cause discord amongst God's people. No spiritual discipline will cause people to go awry, they'll be led astray, uh, carnality to get the best of them, and they will bite and devour one another instead of encouraging and lifting up each other. And, and as we see here, uh, Paul continues his discourse in verse uh, 6 of chapter 5, when he says, because uh, he's already said it, and let me back up just a few verses. In verse uh, 1, it says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, such as sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, but a man who has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and, and have not rather mourned that he who, uh, who, who, that he who was done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed is absent by the present spirit have already judged him who has done, done this deed. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan with the destruction of the flesh, and uh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, your glorying is not good. Do not know. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover has, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So now what he's painting a picture of here is you're looking at the church, and, and oftentimes we have to look at the church in terms of there is the visible church, and then there's the invisible church. Now, what do I mean by visible and invisible? I'm talking about the tangible and intangible. And when we're talking about the invisible church, that is the, 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 the general assembly of the church of the firstborn. Matter of fact, if we look at, uh, go over to Hebrews with me. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Let's, let's turn over there. Yeah, matter of fact, uh, Nico, go over to Hebrews 12, 23 for me. Uh, we're talking about all those who are uh, uh, in the assembly of the firstborn, which is Christ Jesus. And this is talking about the, the, the idea uh, of the, 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 the way that God wants all of humanity to exist. In Hebrews 12, 23, what's it say, Nico? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. All right, so notice, he's talking about the church of, and I just explained to you, that the church is the body of Christ. 
And it is those who have been baptized into the body, having heard, believed, repented, confessed, and obeyed. They have been added to. And this is the church of the firstborn. Who is the firstborn? Jesus Christ. So we're saying the church of the firstborn. We're talking about the church of Christ. And God would wish that all men would be added to his son's church. He wants all men to be saved. But as it is such right now, we're talking about that, that, that assembly of those, the redeemed who are added, who are added and, and, and of all uh, in the mind of God, his family, his kingdom. But then we're also talking about the church that is visible, which, is, which are you and I, the actual men and women who profess the will of God, who profess to, to uh, live and represent uh, and the, the realized church visible. So that's you and I as we sit here. It's not, and you, you told them all the time, Brother Bluebill, the church is not built. It's the people who have been added to the body of Christ, who are washed in the blood of Christ in which the Holy Spirit dwells. So now, so now we have the invisible, which is God's idea, and, and that kingdom which is above, and then we have the visible church, which is right here, which, it, it, which is who, when people see us, we give them an idea of what God's intention was for his people. Does that make sense? So then when we're talking about, so then when we're talking about here in, in 1 Corinthians, the church of Corinth, we know the church of Corinth was split. They were fighting. They were devouring. They were gossiping. They were coveting. They were still being pagans. Some had become Christians, but they were still trying to go back in life. They were still trying to walk forward and, and, and step forward and step back at the same time. And, and, and so, and so, and, and some of them were asking Paul, is it okay that now that I'm a Christian, I'm in Christ, can I still go back to the temple? But he's asking them to do that. He's asking them to do something. He's saying, listen, I want you to stop for a minute and imagine how this looks to those outside of the body. See, because these are people who are Christians, who have been given special gifts, special talents. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 said so they were given gifts, talents, and abilities to use for God's purpose. But because uh, they, were, they were allowing immorality to seep in and carnality to seep in between them, because they were allowing this to happen, they were, being, they were, they were functioning contrary to the will of God. Does that make sense? So anytime, we talked about last week, anytime God's people become undisciplined, spiritually undisciplined, anytime they stop studying to show themselves approved, workmen who need not being ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Anytime they stop studying, anytime they stop applying, anytime they stop living the word, anytime they stop speaking the word, praying the word, discussing the word, anytime they stop doing that, that is when they, they, they become spiritually undisciplined. And when they do that, then what happens is they seek, because the, the, the further away you get from God, the more the more self, the self-focused you become. Amen. And notice what it said in the text that this boy had his stepmother. And we read already in the Old Testament. Well, thank you. I must be shining. All right. <laughs> and we already read in the Old Testament that God had already given his will in Leviticus that he didn't want uh, uh, any incest taking place. He didn't want mamas and, and, and sons and daddies and daughters and, and brothers and sisters. He didn't want any of that stuff going on. Huh? He didn't want uh, family looking at each other.
each other like that. See, he wanted family to be helping one another rather than helping themselves to each other. Do you understand what I'm talking about? God, God, God wants his people to help one another, look out for one another, have the mind of Christ and use the love in 1 Corinthians 13, always looking out for the best interest. So it is a difference between helping each other and helping ourselves to one another. And what we have right there in the scripture with the boy had is his, his, his stepmother. And those there, the leaders at the church at Corinth, instead of dealing with it, they tried to look the other way. They're like, oh, it'll go away. And let me tell you something. Let me, tell you, let me explain something to you. Sin never goes away. If you don't address it and you don't deal with it, it only becomes worse. I might need to appeal to some of my people who've been through some addiction therapy before. Because anybody who's been through some addiction therapy, you know that the first thing you've got to admit that this thing is out of my control. It's got a hold to me. I don't have a hold to it. It's got me. And I can't get free. I need Jesus to set me free. See? But some of us will tell ourselves, if I just ignore it, if I don't, if I don't look at it, then maybe it'll go away. And sometimes we don't want to deal with it, Brother, Brother Stewart, because of fear. Because of how people might look at me. How they might think I'm a bad guy. They might, they might call me judgmental. They might call me self-righteous. They might call me all kinds of names because I'm simply trying to stand for what the word of God is. But if you read in Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1 says, listen, there is no other gospel. Huh? If I or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel, let it be a curse. Because there's only one gospel that's been preached unto you. And he says, you marvel me, Galatians, that you're so soon removed from the one. Huh? And he says, listen, am I seeking to please men or God? If I seek to please men, then I am no longer a bondservant of Christ Jesus. And it is very easy. It is very easy to get up, get caught up in trying to please men. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Leaders need to understand what I'm talking about. Because leaders, Brother Stewart, leaders, Brother Smith, leaders, Brother Brother, Brother, Brother Rufield, it, 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 it's difficult sometimes because it's, it's, guess what? Sometimes now, a man can only take so much of a beat. He can only be beat so many different ways. Do you understand? That's why Paul said, I am beat on every side, but I'm not crushed because the spirit in an earthen vessel still supports me and gets me through. But a man can only be beat on so many sides. He can be beat in the world. He can be beat at home. He can be beat by the ones who care for him most. He can only take so much of a beating till his own body starts to break down. Sometimes he can be physically ill and not have the strength and need to be held up. But because of the work of Satan, Satan will beat him down. Huh? That's why you leaders, and I'm not just talking about Brother Smith and Brother Stewart. I'm talking about leaders as fathers, heads of these families. Leaders, you have to understand that you, 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 you have to, you have to, you, you have to keep holding on to 
the truth that God has given you. And you have to stand regardless. You have to stand regardless. You can't, you can't let yourself be puffed up. Because when we're talking about the church invisible and the church visible, understand this also. Notice what Paul says in 5. He uses this. He says something about the church. He says the church is, he says, remember, you are the unleavened. Notice that unleavened. The unleavened there means that as the redeemed of God, we're supposed to be people who have no yeast in us. If anybody does any cooking, you know what yeast does, right? And Jesus told the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A little bit of leaven, leaven of the whole love. He said they're false teaching. See, false teaching, you know why false teaching is so prevalent? Because it encourages, puffs up the flesh. It makes the flesh think that it's confident and it can do what it wants to do. He says, keep false teaching out because false teaching will latch on to your fleshly and carnal ideas. And before you know it, false teaching, which doesn't come from God, only comes from man. When you latch on to false teaching, and as we've been talking about when Jesus said what? He says, what did he tell the Pharisees? He says, you teach his traditions. You teach the traditions of men, and you lay aside the word of God. The word of God is the thing, uh, uh, you don't correct me if I'm, the word of God is the thing that will keep me humble. The word of God is the thing that keeps my nose to the grindstone. The word of God is the thing that keeps me and helps me and teaches me what true love is. The word of God keeps me from focusing so much on myself and lets me figure out how to help somebody else. But when I latch on to false teaching, false teaching turns me inward, and guess where I end up bowing down? At the <clears throat> altar of self. And that's what you see right here. Because what will happen is, see, and what was happening in Corinth, see, because people say, well, as long as I, because you know, you can read the Bible. You can pray. You can do all that stuff. And still be, and still be misleading, mis misleading yourself in your own imagination because you're letting your own feelings and thoughts uh, come in and reign on the day instead of latching on to what God has said. So you got this boy standing there with his mother-in-law not even thinking about, caring about how that's affecting the rest of the body. Because guess what? There's a vast difference between pleasuring self and delighting in the Lord. The two are not the same. When you delight in the Lord, you can be completely satisfied. When you delight in the Lord, your anxieties can dissipate. When you delight in the Lord, you're so delighted by God, you seek, you seek only about how to be delightful to him. You don't seek how to, how to please self. And then Satan has no room to come in and poke your head up and get you focusing more on yourself. Amen. Yeah, this, this, yeah, he's talking about sexual immorality and how it defiles the church. But like I told you, the sexual morality is just the fruit of a deeper problem. The core of the problem is much deeper. Huh? Fornicate, all that, all that, fornicate, all that is, all that is. So we already know that what it is, it's, it's, it's sexual relations without, outside of marriage, we know that. But it's driven by something. And it's driven by a need 
or want to please myself. Somewhere in there, I stopped believing for a half a second that God can't please me the way I think I know I need to be pleased. And then Satan comes in and says, you know what? You're right. And since he came, you need to handle this yourself. Huh? And it's not always about love. It's not always about uh, uh, running after man or woman. The problem is thinking that God, letting yourself believe for a moment, that God can't satisfy you completely. Being seduced by that carnal spirit. See? And, and, and Paul's saying that's what's dividing the church. You're being seduced by the spirit of carnality rather than induced by the spirit of God. Huh? And you stop too long and you, you, you hesitate too long and all you're really thinking about, all you're really concerned about is how to please me. And it doesn't really matter how it affects anybody else. And so then, so then he says here, he, he, he says here, uh, 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 he says, listen, this stuff has already been judged. And he says, this person, um, um, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you gather together along with my spirit and with the power of the Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved. Notice he's not saying, he's not saying here that, 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 that to, to destroy, he's not talking about to destroy the person uh, completely. That's not what he's saying there. He said, hand them over that their flesh might be destroyed. Uh, does everybody see that? Yeah. <laughs> huh? Uh, you got to be able, so what happens, you got to hand them over so, 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 that, so that, guess what? Hand them over to the hand of Satan and let the consequences of the action be somebody will keep saying, well, I feel like I'm missing out. 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 You think you're missing out? You may think you're missing out on the, see, Satan will say, he'll show you that you're only missing out on the pleasurable things. But he'll never show you the consequences of those things. So then that's when God withdraws his head for a moment. Huh? Do you, do you, do you know what God's head is? The head of safety that he puts around you. That keeps, he, you know, when you go through bad circumstances, don't you know it could be a thousand times worse? But because God has put his hands about you, he only lets you learn the lesson and doesn't let it completely overcome you. Because he loves you and he's trying to teach you and redeem you and bring you back. Amen. You understand what I'm talking about? Huh? Uh, it was God's hands. It was God's hands when you got in trouble in school. And it wasn't worse than it could have been. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, I go back years, years when, when my own sister, when my own sister found herself uh, in rebellion and it was going through that whole thing, running down the streets and all that. I hate everybody. Don't you know? It was God's hands that allowed her to come back home. While she was in full rebellion and full flight. She could have ran out of the street, been hit by a car. When she disappeared from school, she could have ended up in the wrong person. She could have ended up in the wrong person's hand. But it was by the grace and power and mercy of God that he allowed her to come on back home. And that's why to this day, people look at her and say, 
Keisha. <laughs> yes, Keisha. <laughs> she just still, she's still trying to recoup. She still wore out from back then. <laughs> she don't say much. She's still, she's still, she's still fatigued. <laughs> but the point is, I don't pick on you, but I'm saying it because if you talk to her, she'll tell you the same thing. And she'll tell you, and if you ask her, she won't justify her past. She'll say, just stupid. I was just stupid. Because I was taught better. I knew better. But I decided that I knew better than the one who knew everything. And I decided to test him for a little while. Don't you understand? That's a mighty God. That's not one you want to test. You don't want to go against that. You don't want, because the kind of test he gave you, you feel it to your very core. And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make a difference to me whether you fix your face to say whatever. You don't know. I know God, and I know that He knows how to get to anybody, anytime. So you need to understand. It's by God's. So so this boy, this boy, don't understand. It's only by the grace of God now that that that, 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 that he hasn't that 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 that, that, that this situation hasn't gone way worse. And when you deliver somebody over for their flesh. You, what they're trying to do, you're trying to get somebody to the point, this is in 2 Corinthians, you're trying to get them to the point of godly sorrow. Do you understand? Godly sorrow. See, godly sorrow, you see this in 2 Corinthians, godly sorrow is when you say, my sin is against God. And why would I ever want to harm God? And I'm so, and I'm so messed up because I've been so wrong to someone who's been so good to me. Why would I ever want to disrespect him? But there's godly sorrow, then there's the sorrow that comes with just getting caught. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Sometimes, and sometimes that sorrow looks worse than the godly sorrow. The people will overcompensate, fall out, cry, and everything, trying to make you believe, oh, oh, I am so sorry. All you sorry about is that they caught you. <laughs> and you couldn't finish what you were doing. Got caught in the middle. And I didn't complete it. No, so, so when he says hand them over, he's saying cut them off. But this is also, y'all, why fellowship is so important. Amen. You can't withdraw something from somebody that you never had. That's why it's so important that you call and check on one another, that you reach out and touch each other, <clears throat> that you say how you doing, and be receptive to that so we can be drawn close as a family and look out for each other. Remember, we're supposed to be looking out for each other, uh, helping each other, not helping ourselves to each other. So I don't call you to feast on you. I don't call you to, to I don't do that. I call you to check on you, to, to lift you up. I, that's what I call to do. And when you're close like that, you start to lean on one another, right? You lean on one another so much that if something should happen to that fellowship, if you should come in one day and everybody in the room turns their back, it should shock you and say, my God, what have I done? What have I done to turn these people who love me so much? Why have they turned their backs on me? And it should shock you to say, you know what? They didn't turn their backs on me. I turned their backs on me. Because I turned my back on God. Amen. I wanted to please myself and didn't care about nobody else. Does that make sense to anybody? Yeah. Now let me tell you, somebody tell me, how you gonna have a, a, a how you gonna have a positive or a productive or a healthy relationship of any sort 
If it's always lopsided and you think the purpose of that person there is purely just to please you. If you think the purpose of that person is only that only that to please you and all you're supposed to do is show up, you got another thing coming. That's lopsided. God didn't put them there to worship you. A truly healthy relationship benefits both people. A truly healthy relationship helps both people advance in, in, in the direction God wants them to go. A truly beneficial relationship helps lift each other up toward God. And God binds them together even stronger. Not one bleeding the other. Getting all I can out of you. And then I'm done with it. God doesn't want that. Does it make sense to anybody? Huh? No lopsided relationship. So, so then he says here, he says, look here, children. Your glorying is not good. He says, if you're not taking care of the issue, if you know there's an issue in the relationship, you know there's an issue in the congregation leader, if you know what's there and you don't deal with it, you're glorifying it. You're magnifying it because you're not dealing with it. And because you're not dealing with it, it's growing and it's drawing more attention, it's distracting more, and it's hurting more. He says, your glory is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Where, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since truly, uh, you are truly the unleavened. If we're truly the unleavened, we ought to be purging out every bit, that bit, anything in me that causes me to be puffed up to argue with any part of God's word. I should be purging that out of me. Anything that doesn't belong to God, I'll purge it. Anything that promotes puffiness in me, I ought to purge it. You don't know what I'm talking about? Huh? I gotta say it all the time. Anything. Any music. Any music that encourages puffiness. Any that comes with some yeast and some leaven. I gotta get rid of it. You wanna know how to be spiritually disciplined? You look for the things that cause you to be undisciplined and uproot it. Huh? We talked about that last week. Get the cookies out the cupboard. Right. Stop saying I'm using them to train myself to look the other way. <laughs> Every time I see them, they remind me. How many times are you going to be able to test yourself before you find out, find yourself, I'm going to just open them and have the, the smell could uh, create such a cognitive change? Huh? You get the cookies out of the cupboard. Get all the rappers, throw them away. And when they come on the TV, change the channel. <laughs> Get rid of the pup. Anything that you, and here's the thing, you know what causes you to be puffed up. Huh? I got to talk to some of my addicts again. If I know anybody has been a recovery addict, they know. Somebody called him and say, I want to talk to you. They don't call and say, uh, look, meet me down at the bar. Brother Austin, am I right about that? Huh? They don't do that. No, I'm not saying Brother Austin is an addict. I'm just saying. <laughs> Brother Austin, you know what I'm talking about. If they care about your recovery, they don't call you and say, meet me at the bar. We ain't going to drink. We just going to sit and talk. Because a true addict will say, listen. I'm not even coming outside the ball. 
because I know me. It ain't about you. I know me. And I know if I get close to the bar, I'm in trouble. So meet me at the park or something. Meet me somewhere else, but I can't do that. But see, and the beautiful thing about, because I, I work with, the beautiful thing about addicts, right? The beautiful thing about addicts, they don't blame nobody. They don't blame anybody. Addicts don't blame. True recovery addicts do not point the finger. They always accept the thumb. Because they know that their recovery is false if they're still pointing the finger. They always look at, what am I doing to trip myself up? What am I doing? How am I? That's what they don't point, they don't blame. Because you know why? They become completely unleavened. See, when you've been through some addiction, addiction's had a hold of you, it'll shake all the puffiness out of you. Hmm? If you don't wrestle with sin enough, now it should take all the pridefulness out of you to the point where you like. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I ain't got nothing to say. Because guess what? I, I, I don't have nothing to say because like Job, when Job learned at the end of Job, he said at one point when God talked to me, I had the nerve to open my mouth. But now I realize that he's saying things that are too wonderful for me, too great for me. I will shut my mouth and just listen. Huh? He says, your glory is not good. Drive, purge it. If you want to be a new love, Bible says, old things have perished. Uh, old things are there, right? All things made new. That means my mind too. Do you want to be a new love? If you want to be a new love, a new love for bread, then change all the way through. All the way through. Stop fronting. Because you're not fooling anybody. Change all the way through. And you can't blame nobody. Change all the way through. And then, and then he says here, and he says, because listen, y'all been sacrificed. You are the, the church is the unleavened, and anything that comes in here that is leavened, if it come in your conversation, if it come in your house, get it out, because it's trouble. Then he says, I wrote to you uh, in my epistle not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Uh, yet I certainly did not mean the sexual morality of the world or with the covetous extortions or idolatry says, uh, then you would be, need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you to keep company with, not to keep company with anyone who's brother. Now here's the thing. Mm. The problem is, he said, listen, I didn't tell you to be sitting there, sitting in a certain, have to take a certain attitude toward the world. But guess what? Everybody in the world has already been judged. Mm. Everybody that's in the world that's still in sin, they've already been judged and they're lost. Until they become Christians, they're lost. So I didn't tell you to sit and try to figure out whether somebody in the world is lost. You see how we do that? We said our focus will be completely outward rather than inward. He said, no, 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 no. I want you to look at the one who's called a brother. And the one who's called a brother, if that one is immoral, then get away from it. That's real hard sometimes, right? Because in our own families, we'll have both. Who we know we not, who we know not living right. But we still let them stay in our house. And I'm going to tell you something. If you know they're not living right, they're staying in your house. You're just as guilty. Huh? Preacher one time told me when his son went wrong, he said, I had to withdraw from my son. And I told my wife, if he come to the house, you don't let him sit, don't, put, don't let him put his feet under my table. 
because he's turned from the Lord and he's not privy to anything that comes from the Lord. And what goes on our table comes from the Lord. And if he doesn't want the Lord, he doesn't want the blessings, the bread. He doesn't want the benefits of the Lord. He can't come in my house. Why? Because it's God's house. You can't come in here. Because when you come in here, you're, this is an unleavened house. But when you come in, you're bringing leaven with you, and you're going to blow my house up. I don't need it. And this was his own son. And, and, his, wife, and his wife said, she said, that was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But I had to choose. Do I love him enough? Do I love him enough to do what the Lord would have me to do? Or do I love him too much and keep him confined? And what I would rather. Because if I do what I would rather do, I'll destroy it. Because he'll never learn. See, see? They can't sit in your house, y'all. Right now, you got somebody sitting at your house, right? Eating your bread, head in your refrigerator, and ain't trying to do nobody, ain't trying to walk with the Lord at all. And they're a brother or sister in Christ. If you really want them to get right, you better be wrong. That's what he commands the elders to do. Elders, they got to check, check this whole congregation. If people don't want to walk with the Lord no more, we got to withdraw. Not because we're trying to get rid of them, but because we're trying to regain them. And when you cut them off, that means, look, not just when they come in here. They can come in here, but you better not, right-handed fellowship, don't go to them. You speak to them, show them respect. But ain't no, ain't no we'll be on, let's go eat some chicken together. No. And then and that, that's outside the building, too. No, they can't come calling you on the phone. Girl, this, no. That's out if you truly love them. Huh? He says, their flesh need to be restored, destroyed so their spirit can be set free. I certainly did that. So he said, look, I, you have to leave the world if you were trying to get away from all the immoral people. He says, right here in the church, in the church. If there's a brother or sister, and what I mean by that, if they're living as a wicked person, and we're going to end on this, but I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or idolater or reveler or drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not know that, do you, do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside? God judges, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. The evil person, I tell you, go with me over to 1 John. In 1 John, and, and, and the chapter is 2. And I'm going to pick up reading about verse 24 so you can see who this person is. Some of us, and, and I've seen it, some of us will say, oh, I don't run, I don't even kick it with people in the world like that because they, you know, they want some other stuff, right? But some of your main drinking buddies will be fellow Christian. Some of your main cussing buddies, gossip buddies, swearing buddies, doing dirt buddies will be Christian. And we'll say, you know what, we'll see, it don't matter though. As I know, you know. Why? The thing is, no, you don't keep that kind of company. I'm, and when we talk about the evil person, look, everybody stumbles. But we're not talking about those who stumble. We're talking about those who have laid down and are rolling in and refuse to get up from it. Bible says here in First uh, John two twenty four. Therefore, let that abide in you. Which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has uh, taught you, you will abide in him. And now little children abide in him. And when he appears, he may have 
confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Emphasize, underline, practices. Underline that in your Bible, practices. Behold, what manner of love, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed that we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he who has manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins uh, has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who underlines, practices righteousness, is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning for this purpose, and the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. That does not mean that a Christian cannot sin. What it does mean is, remember the word I told you to underline? Practice means you have the truth that abides in you. And because the truth abides in you, it will not allow you to practice sin on a daily, hourly. It will not allow you to turn away and practice sin, live in sin, let it become your habit, a sinful life. Does that make sense to you? The one born of God will not habitually sin, make a habit out of it. They may stumble, but they'll get back up, come back to the Lord, and stay with the Lord. Those who are born of God who practice righteousness. You, the one who doesn't want to practice righteousness must be cut off so that they can learn the consequences from their father, the devil, so that they, when they practice unrighteousness, get the consequences and come back to practicing righteousness if God gives them time. Does that make sense to anybody? There's a way that God wants us to be toward one another. There's a way he wants us to practice love, practice unity, practice patience, practice long-suffering. That should be what we practice, put into play every single day and hour. Huh? If not, it leads to immorality, it leads to division. It leads to pain, and there is no peace where this kingdom is bound together by peace. Huh? So if we practice righteousness, we'll have the peace that only God can give you. But if we practice unrighteousness, we will bite and devour, gossip and undercut, and use one Paul said, I don't judge those who are there. God has already judged them. They're on the wall. But in this house, don't keep company. If you love somebody, you don't keep company with them. You don't do their work. Got to help one another. Best you can, help one another. Stay with Christ. That makes sense to anybody? He says, let the wicked person be separate. And you know who the wicked person is. The wicked person is the one who won't hear right, won't do right, won't act right. And it's still point fingers instead of stepping in, they set the responsibility for what they need to do before God. No recovery program is complete or even worse if you're not willing to accept that I need to change. Me, I can't control anybody else. It's on me. Only then can you be useful and helpful. And so I walk around with victim mentality. You know what I'm doing. 
You can't walk around always, woe is me, and I got so much on me. And I'm, How long are you going to be a victim before you take hold of God a victim? Amen. Hmm? How long are you going to talk about if so-and-so didn't have a problem, if so-and-so didn't have a problem, then I could do better. Why can't you do better? Aren't you a child of God? Huh? Why does so-and-so need all the help? Don't you need some help, too? Get the help God wants you to get if you wanted to get better. Huh? Get rid of that kind of pridefulness. Feel loving and receive the power, the power of the preeminent Christ Jesus. He's calling. If you want to become a Christian, you come forward. Give your life to Christ. Leave here a few times God. Washed in his blood. Washed in his blood. Added to his body. One church will be a Christian. Oh, Christianity. Walking his life in God and his uh, Christians, if you haven't been, if you haven't been uh, giving God the space, the time, and the opportunity, if, 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 if you've been uh, leaning on being uh, more disciplined, undisciplined, and, and being seduced by that power spirit that sometimes gets us off, then repent that sin. And God will.